you can see it in their faces. They come on and they look quite sad, if I'm brutally honest. But the time we've, we've we've all had a good chat, you can see definitely in their faces that they've got a lot from this. And, and that is the big thing about understanding we are not alone. Hello and welcome back to Malopathy Matters the official podcast of the charity Melopathy.org. Where we talk all things degenerative cervical myelopathy from the perspective of the professionals, the researchers and the people living with myelopathy. I'm Ewan Sadler, person with DCM and a founder of Melopathy.org. And I'm Ben Davies, neurosurgeon scientist and also founder of Myelopathy.org. This is Myelopathy Matters. So coming up today, we are going to talk to Esther Martin-Moore, someone affected by DCM, who has created a series of virtual and global coffee mornings to bring people together in a similar position. It's a fantastic initiative, really spreading its wings. I actually had a person in clinic only a few weeks ago, and I started to break the news that, you know, this is DCM, needs surgery, etc. And, and she basically said to me, don't worry, Esther has already brought me up to speed. And I was like, who's Esther? <laughs> That's awesome. Let's find out, shall we? I had surgery in 2017. I had um, an ACDF from C3 to C7. Before the surgery, I had what I call mild to moderate symptoms of it. But when I had the surgery, unfortunately, I woke up and um, my condition was, let's say, worse than what it was before the operation. I've had a very long journey with it since 2017. And so how, how did you become aware of, of malopathy.org, you know, the organisation? Well, I didn't even know the name of this condition until after surgery, when I went back on my post-op. And to be honest, there was just knowing, it, I was told you've got malopathy and Basically, we'll, we'll send you to the pain management clinic and they'll be able to help you there. And that was the end of the appointment. So there was no, there's the, you know, like there's no leaflets out there that they can give you so you can read when you go home or there's no direction of how someone can help you and support you like there is with a lot of um, lifetime conditions. So we had to come home. Um, my fabulous husband, who's done a lot of the research, started doing research and you know googling stuff and that's how we came across the myelopathy.org uh, website and from there all my my questions started to get answered very quickly i just noticed that you've had the same levels done as me as well having the condition the, the main thing is that we need answers really to the condition and how, how we can deal with it I mean, it took us a good couple of weeks to find anything because we didn't really know what to research to get the answers. But like I say, as soon as we found it, that's when the stress of the actual condition relieved a bit because we started to understand a little bit more and more about the condition and you know what the future holds for us. Really fascinating to hear all that, Esther. Can I ask a question? Why was it you think that in hindsight you started to look for the information after the surgery? Well, my surgery was very quick. It was five days from being diagnosed to surgery. And before seeing the consultant, I didn't even know what was wrong with me. They thought it was, a, I got a blood 
clot or a condition with blood vessels. And it was only when an MRI was done and the, the, the consultants saw the image, he then referred me to a neurosurgeon and they said in a couple of weeks they'll get in contact. And then I got a phone call can you come to my office? And I went in and he says, I don't know how you've just walked in here. He says, right, you're in for surgery. And it was a blur. If if I'm honest, those five days was a total blur. I didn't know anything. It was a shock when I woke up and I couldn't have anybody touch me. I mean, I was screaming in the bed because the nurse was trying to take the blood pressure um, and the pain was just horrendous. And it was just, why is this happening? What's happened? The surgeon I'm with is absolutely, I can't, you know, he's fantastic. And, you know, when he had the time to explain it more, he did. But post-op, I didn't see the actual surgeon. I saw one of the registrars. It wasn't that it was a, you know, the surgery had gone wrong. It was just that that's how my spinal cord had reacted after the, you know, they'd sorted the disc out. So it's, it's so important that we get this information out to everybody. You know, even if... There's a leaflet. There's a leaflet about everything. If you think about it with NHS, anything you have in your GP, there's a leaflet about it. But there was nothing. You know, we we looked on the the board as we walked out the room. There was nothing. And I'm a very big. I have to understand something in my head to then accept things. You know, if I don't read it, it's not true. Um, and that was really important to me that I understood, and also my family because it's not just me. With this condition, a lot of people, you know, I've got myelopathy. This myelopathy affects my whole family. I was only married for six months when this all happened. He didn't sign up for this when he said I do. So, and we do. We we say we've got myelopathy. I know it sounds strange, but because he's going through it with me and he has to understand every day is a different day for me. And, you know, I can't thank him enough for the support. I think the story echoes a similar stories throughout the support group that no one had sort of the information that they needed coming out of an operation with myelopathy. And the problem you had as well was going into surgery, you couldn't prep yourself mentally for, you know, what was in front of you. And and Ben will agree with me here that, you know, knowledge is power there. Yeah. I mean, they said, said at the time of the surgery, you know, these are the outcomes but I just didn't believe that. I just thought I'd have the operation, I'd get better. Well, I'd wake up, I'd feel better. I then would get better and go back to my normal life. Although they explained it on the you know, the form you sign, none of it was going in. None of the information was going in. So, Esther, what led you to conceive the idea of the virtual coffee mornings? To be honest with you, when, when this all happened and, you know, we realised I wasn't going to be going back to work and, you know, life has changed. And I'd gone through a very dark period of not knowing where I now fit into the world. I felt very, very isolated because I'm at home, you know, 24-7 mainly. Um, And then the pandemic hit. And this is going to sound a bit strange, but then everybody came into my world Everybody was told to stay at home. Everybody was told you can only go out for you know, a short period. Um, and I enjoyed it because all of a sudden, people were now living in my world. We were doing video calls. We were doing quizzes. You know, we have got a family group, which the family one still goes. But as the restrictions got lifted, I felt like my world was closing again and I was going back to being isolated. And I, I said to my husband, I can't be the only one out there feeling like this. And although talking to friends is fantastic and family, they don't actually understand what I'm going through. 
um, and it'd be fantastic to talk to people because typing is not not very good for me. My fingers hurt so much on a keyboard. Um, and that's why I didn't interact quite a bit with the, the group on Facebook to start off with. And I just thought, surely there must be others out there that feel the same as me, that just want just an hour or so to know they're not on their own. And, you know, if they've got something they want to talk about, then they can come on and talk to people that actually understand. And, and that's where it come about. So you and Esther came to you with this idea, and I guess a lot of these difficulties that Esther was describing would resonate with the exact reasons you formed the support group. What did you think about the idea of having some virtual coffee mornings? I hadn't actually thought of it in the beginning, and it was something that Facebook had been running for a few months, but we hadn't really looked into it. And when Esther reached out to me, I thought, do you know what? She could be onto something here, something that would be a different sort of vibe than we get in in the support group itself. Esther mentioned there that a lot of people find typing quite difficult. So this is something that people with myelopathy would find much easier to do. And I think that is sort of part of the success there. So for people who aren't aware, so because most of the group operates through that normal Facebook board, is that right? So it's comments and interactions on posts and that kind of thing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. But with the the rooms that are set up, this is all, you know, this is like a Zoom meeting. So when I popped into the first one, there was a totally different vibe in there as well, which, you know, you don't really get in the support group because, you know, you, you don't get any emotions out of someone writing something in a post. You don't know how to take the person as the person being serious. I was pleasantly surprised when I went in and sat down and just, you know, listened to everybody sort of discuss everything in the room as well. Having spoken to you and Esther, what were the next steps? How did you get this get this off the ground? To be honest, it was like a whirlwind with him. I said it and he was like, yeah, let's do it, <laughs> which I was quite shocked. I thought it'd take ages. But it was quite simple, wasn't it? We just looked at doing the rooms through the support group. And I think then the first one was a week later that we we decided to go live with it. And it was just a trial. He said, let's try, you know, a trial one and see. And it was a success. And I mean, I got loads out of it just to see human beings on a screen. Every word I was saying, they understood it. It is such a lift for everybody. You know, I've got a couple that even private message me now. And on the first one, they were like, I'm so glad for this coffee break. It's just brilliant. They only last an hour because I know, you know, People like ourselves, we get tired very quickly. So they last an hour um, and we talk about everything. And I do mean everything. But we also have a laugh and a giggle and we make people, you know, enjoy themselves and not feel guilty about enjoying themselves because that's something that does happen when you've got a condition. It's like, oh, I'm not meant to laugh and I'm not meant to smile. But yeah, we have a good time on it, definitely. And, and is there a structure or, or a format? There's a very small structure because I don't know who's coming on. So we can have like people pop on and off. I tend to, before the coffee break, think of things that have popped into my mind that week and what what question I might have. Like last week, I, I'm considering going off a walker and going on to walking sticks. So we had a massive conversation about what sticks are you know, the best ones for each other. And, you know, and you can really, you can get the advice like you can from the support group, but it's there 
straight away. And that's the beauty of the coffee break. We don't know what we're going to talk about. You know, we you know, talk about one thing and we end up talking about something completely different. It's a different environment, which makes people feel safe that they can ask questions because there are some like, you know, delicate topics that we talk about. And and it's it's just everyone's opinion. There's there's no medical advice given. We don't say, you know, we don't talk about medication or anything like that. We talk about AIDS, what people have been doing that week. And, you know, and there's someone says, oh, like, I've been gardening. We talk about how, how they've done that, what they've been using. It's like talking to your friends, but with your friends that actually understand what you're going through. Is there sort of a regular group of people coming together now? Or, I mean, how do you, how do you welcome sort of new, new members or new people? I mean, there are regulars, which we absolutely love because they can help out because I sort of know them a little bit more. I can then lean on them a little bit to ask, you know, when someone's asking a question. When someone new comes on, we always ask, tell us a bit about them um, so we know where they are. And if they've got anything they want to ask. And that's where it tends to then, you know, go off in a different direction because they've got worries. The other week we had somebody on that was going in for surgery in a week's time. You know, she was saying, you know, what do I need to do? What do I need to prepare? So we all gave all a bit of advice of what was good for us. And I think that's that's the best bit about this support group and the coffee mornings is that you've got everybody all on different bits of the path. So everyone can help everyone. And if if we've made a mistake or not done something right and we can pass that on to somebody who's not even at that stage, it helps them. And helping each other is what it's all about. And does that help you? Or do you get a sort of positive feedback from that? Mental state is very, very important. You know, we might have a physical condition, but mental state is, is, is key. Um, and to keep me positive, I take loads from it. I'm always messaging you in afterwards saying, God, that was a good one. Or God, I've learned so much because I'm still learning. You know, I was listening to your podcast that you did the other month and I've learned something new. So all these tools to get the, you know, the information out there, I think is absolutely brilliant. But one of the good things is you're seeing a face and like you says, the emotion, when someone asks a question and you go, yeah, that's happened to me. You can see it on their faces, the relief. Um, and you know they're going to come off and think, I'm OK. Yeah, I'm not just I'm not going mad or, you know, it, it just gives that support, especially for the mental state. It, it's so key. So, so key. It sounds incredibly powerful. I mean, what has been the reception? Because I understand now you're not just one coffee morning a week, you're multiple time zones. We are. So we do three a month. I'll be dead honest if I did any more. I think I'd get too tired because I have to go for a sleep afterwards because they're, they're, they're so much fun that, that they exhaust me. So we do three a month. We always do it on a Thursday and then we do different times. So we do 11 uh, one week, 11 in the morning one week, two o'clock the week after and then six o'clock. And the reason we've done that is, is because we've got people in the group that are all around the world. So we're trying to, to hit... All, all the lines where it's, you know, it's not two o'clock in the morning or something in America. But the good news is that we are actually doing a trial one with Sheila over in the America for, because they're all different time zones over there as well. So Sheila's going to do a, a trial one for the American part of the team as well. So it's spreading. I want to spread it across the world. That, that would be my aim. Definitely. Well, that'd be fantastic. I and mean, I mean, I guess that brings on to another question and something maybe you and to reflect on as well. Is, is there anything more that we can do as an organisation to help support this? I mean, I think it was always 
Mark, one of the other founders, sort of view that, you know, we could have all of these sort of group discussions and we'd always thought about them being physical, you know, you know, sort of community centers type thing. But actually the one of the positives, if there can be from a pandemic, has been this technology, hasn't it? Reaching everyone at home and the ability to, to connect people from all corners. It just based on the time zone. Yeah, I remember discussing just before the uh, pandemic is that we were going to launch the first sort of offline support group. And then, you know, everything sort of went down the pan. And I must admit, after doing the first coffee morning with Esther, I, I messaged her back and said, you know what, that was like a therapy session, listening to everybody. Yeah, I couldn't believe the positive feedback from that. So I think Esther's, you know, come across something really special at the right time. Um, because, like Ben said, with the pandemic, because people people have been using Zoom, even my mother uses Zoom, you know, she uses FaceTime, the older generation do it, and they're so used to it. It's just, yeah, it's come at the right time. And, and, and is there anything then that the organisation can do or more volunteers need to come forward? What, well, how can we grow this further, do you think? How can we support this even more? I personally think we should have a carer's kind of virtual coffee break. Um, I'm I'm in one of the luckiest points because I've got a very supportive husband. And if, you, if you've got someone that still doesn't quite understand the condition, I think it'd be absolutely brilliant to be able to bring in the carers into this, you know, be a husband or a, a, even teenagers I know are caring for some parents with this condition, but know that they've got the support as well. Because I do think, you know, carers play a big, big role in this. My husband does things for me and, and, and people wonder, well, why are they doing it like that? And he knows it's because it will help me out. You know, it's, it's, I think carers is, is another area we need to be looking at as well, definitely. What are your thoughts, Ewan? I was having a discussion this week with somebody saying that their partner didn't understand the condition. And you, you get a lot of partners out there where they think that the operation is the end all of everything, that it's, it's the fix, but it's not. So carers really need the support as well. So going forward, this is just as important, really. Do you think they'd be happy to participate? I know my, my husband would. But on the six o'clock one, he's here. And he says, okay, listen. And I'm like, no, nope, it's private. Go away. <laughs> so, but he's interested, you know, because I, I think that, you know, he's got a background of counselling. And I think, you know, with that, it's they could actually gain a lot like we've gained a lot. I don't know if it should be a separate thing or togetherness. I, I personally think it should be with the, the you know the person from the support group and their carer so that they they you know they can understand together what's being said because you know that's the whole point of it is being together and coming together is that maybe a bridge then maybe one of the mornings could be a, a group i mean i i mentioned it because we've done a bit of work on the impact of of carers and it's definitely their significant negative really life-changing but as a group, they're quite difficult to engage because their relationship is slightly more removed from, from the disease itself and understanding that need and all that. We've, we've struggled as an organisation, I think, to reach them. And I think that's why these virtual meetups are fantastic because you don't have to leave, leave your home for it. It's something I think we should definitely trial and see how it goes because, you know, if we don't try, we don't know if, if it's going to work or not. I'm happy to give that a go to if it will help someone because that's all I want to do is someone get a better experience than what I had along the journey.
that's that's my main goal definitely very powerful very powerful listening to all of this one of the criticisms that we've had from people coming in and out of the support group is sometimes people find themselves in a very dark place you've got the newbies coming in you've got the the people post-op actually giving the newbies the same questions over and over so it does get a bit monotonous for the people who are post long-term post-op yeah to be in the group we've had reports then saying right the support group can be a bit negative because the same questions are being asked over and over again but you know on the flip side we need them people in the group to give them the advice that they need how would you push a transition to get more people from the support group side of things yeah to the to the virtual coffee breaks yes we have a lot of members that are all different stages of the journey and i've been like on this journey for a fair few years but i get a lot of pleasure and a confidence boost when somebody new comes on to the, the coffee mornings. And I know a couple of the regulars do too. You, you, you can actually see it in their faces, which is something you can't do when you're typing away. And it, it, they basically, we can help them realise, although the life is different, you can still have a life. And it's, it's also uh, accepting the life that it's going to be. Um, it's a bit like the grieving po- process. And I know me and Ewan talked about this quite a bit. But unless you you understand how to grieve what your life was like before, you won't be able to go forward and start enjoying life. Things that I used to enjoy is completely different to what I enjoy now. But you, you can see it in their faces. It's 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 so uplifting when you see that they you know they come on and they look quite sad. If I'm brutally honest, but the time we've we've we all had a good chat you can see definitely in their faces that they've got a lot from this and that hopefully we can hold their hand on the journey to, to, to grieve the past and then accept the future. And I think it helps because we do have a laugh and a giggle. One, one of the guys last week had me in tears with laughter. We don't do negative. That's one thing that we won't do on the coffee breaks. It's not uh, who's got the best you know, symptoms or anything like that. It's, it's there to be positive and to give you that lift for the day. And I, I think it's working. How do you think you capture that? That's such a difficult thing, isn't it? I think because I've gone through grieving counselling, um, I, I had some real dark, dark days. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm honest about it. I, I was at the point where I wanted to end my life because I thought, well, what do I do now? You know, and I think because I've been through that and I've gone through the grieving counselling, I know how to listen and I know how to understand what they're going through because you've been through it. And it's not just me. There's many others on there. And have sharing experiences, I think, is it's just key because then they know we are not alone. And, and that is the big thing about understanding we are not alone. And, and I'd say, you know, just accepting life and, and hearing the you know, us a little bit further on that we are doing little bits. It, it, it can help them understand that, you know, it's not over. Life's not over. It's just about to start, but different. As I always say, it's, it's about to start, but it's different. Yeah, I'm not, I must admit, when I went into the uh, the coffee mornings, there's no better feeling than, than to help someone and someone say thank you. And I could see everybody's face on the phone and everything. I could see someone asking a question 
And then somebody else had the answer for that question and that smile coming on that person's face just because they'd helped someone else in the room as well. It's hard to capture that. And I'm hoping that people can see by spreading the word. But, you know, the positivity that comes out of these coffee mornings where people are actually sharing it in in the support group, hopefully people can jump on board and think, right, I'm going to give it a go. And I'm sure that if they give it a go just the once, they'll, they'll be coming back for more, really. Because, like I said, it's like a therapy session up there. It's brilliant. I think, I think what you've got is something really special here. I do as well. I'm incredible. And I'm, I mean, I think what people can forget with these sorts of things is that all of these initiatives come down to individuals and, you know, um, Ewan's decision to make a support group and yours to make coffee morning. And yes, people come with them and, and they can grow them with them, but it's those individual steps uh, that, 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 that really go sometimes unnoticed and they are fundamentally the, the foundations of all of these things. So it's tremendously powerful. And I'm delighted that something like this is happening. I always find these stories tremendously inspiring, you know, in the face of real adversity, how an individual can turn a negative into a positive and not just for herself, but for others. And sort of reminds me of how you started. Yes. When I spoke to Esther for the first time about the virtual coffee break, she mentioned the initial shock of being diagnosed with DCM, but later on coming to terms with the diagnosis and having a burning ambition to give something back to the myelopathy community. And she certainly has and will continue to do so with these virtual coffee breaks. I think they're a great idea and something that we are going to push forward in the future. And if we can find a common thread to what myelopathy.org has been able to do so far, whether it's people living with DCM or professionals, it's essentially bringing people together. Something so simple today, given technology, but fundamentally reshaping all sorts of aspects for DCM. It must make you feel proud, you now, to see these sorts of initiatives taking off spontaneously. It's great to know that the foundation of malopathy.org is now being used by people like Esther to get this important message across. Like, each of us can make a difference, and together we can make change. Just by looking back at our humble beginnings, we definitely come a long way, but we also have a long way to go to raise awareness of malopathy. I think that's so true, Ewan. This is not a journey we can, we can do alone, and it's something that we can only really solve by coming together. So what's up next month? Well, we're talking to Professor Konstantinos Margetis, a spine surgeon from New York, as well as Dr. Carl Zipser, neurologist from Valgris, Switzerland, on our initiative to create the first diagnostic criteria for degenerative cervical myelopathy. So thanks very much to Esther Martin-Moore for joining us. This was Myelopathy Matters from myelopathy.org. The podcast, again, of course, was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. To keep up to date with the latest in the field of degenerative cervical myelopathy, why not subscribe on your favourite podcast app, where you'll also find all of our previous episodes. There's lots more information to be found at the newly revamped myelopathy.org, but if you've got a question about myelopathy or an experience to share, we'd love to hear it. Please do get in touch at ben at myelopathy.org. But until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.